2: Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from my new office in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. Uh, I literally moved my office from one building in the two building complex that I was in to the other building in the two building complex that I was in. And uh, I'm still in the process of moving in. I still have a bunch of loose things. It's amazing how much stuff you can accumulate in an office over a number of years. Still have a bunch of stuff to move out, uh, but I'm settled in my new office. I'm meeting people in my new office, and tomorrow morning, I have my first live workshops in my office, um, live workshops held in my office since before the shutdown in March of 2020. Now, I've had live workshops in an outside location but these are going to be actually physically in my office. Um, there are two workshops scheduled for tomorrow, estate planning workshops. One starts at nine o'clock, goes till about 1015 and, and I reset. The second one starts at about 1045 and goes till noon. Both of them you need to register for because space is limited. If there are walk-ups To my workshops they will only be seated if there is literally space available because someone else did not show up. Right now my second workshop the last time I checked has 17 of 18 spots taken and I think my 9 o'clock workshop is up to about 10 of 18 so there should still be room in there. If you'd like to come to one of these workshops then please feel free to go to my website at lawbob.com. Click on the button at the top of the page that talks about uh, workshops and seminars Um, right there. It will take you to another page where you can read about what the workshop's about. And then at the bottom of that page, there's two buttons. Pick one of those buttons to register for the appropriate time for the workshop. And uh, if there's space available you're guaranteed a spot. There's no charge for these workshops. I did a number of them uh, last year and also earlier this year, and they were very well received. I I think it would be um, an excellent choice for you to come and actually learn about estate planning, not the nuts and bolts of estate planning, but more the broad strokes of why we do estate planning I think it would be a useful exercise for you to determine just what's important to you in the area of estate planning. Now, I apologize uh, today. I'm having a little bit of difficulty talking today. Uh, I have a very, very dry throat, and uh, and I'm trying to drink some water, and hopefully I won't lose my voice as we go. But um, I would like to start today with my usual approach, which is questions and comments from around the state of California. So I'm going to pick out from my stack of issues that people have raised from around the state and uh, read a few of them and then comment on them online today. Okay, first of all, out of Fremont, California, person said, my uncle died with a living trust. The successor trustee is ready to distribute property to his heirs. Do we need to even file his pour over will? Now, let me explain what a pour over will is. Uh, A pour over will is a special type of will that specifically directs that at death, if the person owned property otherwise subject to the probate process well then um then what would happen is they would actually um have to either go to court to uh, to process that uh, or they would have to uh, uh if there is uh, written evidence of intent that someone's property was supposed to be in the will then they would actually have to go to um, to court with a Hegstat petition. That's that's another possible way to get the property in there. In this case, it said my uncle wrote a will just to have something in place. Then he did a revocable living trust with all the same assets in it. He signed the pour over will with only a few thousand in assets just to say that his pour over will supersedes the previous one he signed. He died recently, and we just located the the pour-over will signed less than two weeks before he we died. Do we file it? The short answer to that question is that legally you're required to actually file the pour-over will, what we call lodging it with the court. Uh, lodging it with the court means you file it with the court And the idea is that it's filed with the court so that anybody who wants a copy of it or wants to review it, they'll be able to get a copy from the court because it's been filed with the court. The failure to lodge the will with the court can mean that if somebody has their interest, their inheritance interests affected because they couldn't get access to the will, then what could happen is... Whoever was holding on to the will who did not file it could end up legally, personally liable if someone was damaged financially as a result of the will not being filed. Now, in a case like this, I always tell the family you should file the will or lodge the will, even if there's not going to be anybody who would be disputing anything, because it costs 50 bucks to do. You've done it, you've complied with the law, and you're kind of done right there. You don't have to worry about anything else going on at that time. But that's pretty much what I suggest people do, is is actually uh, lodge or file the will. Okay, now here we have uh, out of San Francisco, and the people said, um, at the time of death, July of 2021... We neglected to get my relative's home in a trust appraised. We misunderstood thinking that you did that during the home selling process. Now we found out we needed to have it appraised to figure out the stepped-up cost basis and any capital gains that might be owing on the sale of the property and to deal with any audit from the IRS if they ever pursued that. Is there a way to do an appraisal after the fact, now that the home was sold April of this year, and someone else owns it. In the event of an audit after we do the estate taxes, we just want to be able to defend our numbers thanks in advance for the guidance. The answer is yes. You can have a date of death appraisal done at any time. I mean, you could have a date of death appraisal that's done a couple of years after the person died I've even had them done many, many years later after someone died just because the appraisal was never done in the first place. Um, That really doesn't directly affect who owns the property uh, because appraisers tend to appraise based on comparable sales of comparable properties in the neighborhoods uh, where the property was located. And professional appraisers have ways of adjusting their appraisals to actually come up with a value. And the person is right here. That would be very important to do that here in order to fix the value for income tax purposes and estate tax purposes when the person actually, um, uh, when they actually sell the property later on. So, So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. And when we come back, I'll do more Plan Your State Radio questions and answers from around the state of California. I just want to remind you all, I do have workshops tomorrow morning. You can go to lawbob.com to find out more information and to click through to register uh, to attend one of those free workshops, live masks, optional. Just so you know, you can wear a mask if you want. I won't be wearing a mask. Okay. This is the first break of the show today, and I'll continue after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman.
1: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Hi, welcome back to the second segment of the show today. Out of Santa Rosa, California, someone wanted to know, how can I tell if there have been modifications or amendments to a trust? Are they supposed to be attached? Person says, my brother, successor trustee of my parents' trust, gave me a copy of my parents' trust after they passed away. It said I was supposed to get one third of my parents' ranch, but my brother never gave one-third to me. He claimed it was his, and he's now selling it. I can't tell from reading the trust if it was amended or changed in any way, because it was not stated it had been changed. Or did my brother just not follow the terms of the trust at all? He also said there was a life estate that my mother gave him. How could I tell if there was really a life estate or not? Is there something she had to sign for that? Should the amendments be attached? Well, here's the deal. If there was any kind of amendment to the trust, and the brother's a successor trustee, he has a legal obligation to provide a copy of the trust and as amended, meaning if there the trust had amendments he's supposed to provide those as well. If the mother granted a life estate, she could have done that possibly with an amendment to the trust, but then you have to provide a copy of the amendment. She might have taken and actually filed a deed of some kind that provided for a life estate for the um, for the brother. Uh, and then, yes, the mother would have had to sign something. But there's clearly um, a lack of communication going on here. And the paperwork provided to this person does not line up with the actions that the brother is taking. So it's not really clear just, um, just what's going on here. It, it really just does not seem to make any sense. So, um, uh, there may be more things that have to be requested and there may actually ultimately need to be legal action taken by this person to get the brother to produce more information and actually, um, uh, prove that he has a life estate or prove that he is the only one that is supposed to actually be um, receiving this property. And uh, so that's that's really kind of what we're looking at right there as uh, as the situation for this person. Okay. Out of San Diego, California. Our parents had a trust... Where where one of the siblings, one of our five siblings, was the trustee on the trust. Uh, so after the parents died, this sibling took a, uh, was the successor trustee. The sibling decided to take a loan out on the house of the parents. She paid off the cost of the roof, paid off the cost of, I guess, stuccoing the house, but also paid off her car, and her credit cards, and she's hiding this and doing it behind the back of the other siblings. Is this legal or illegal? I think that's one of those questions where if you have to ask the question, I'm not sure you understand what's going on. This is not the sister's money. This is money out of the property owned by the trust that presumably is supposed to be divided five ways. If the sister took money out to actually pay off things on the house and the house is being distributed, uh, maybe to pay off loans on the house or repair the house or something. So it could be sold and generate more revenue. That's one thing, but taking money from a loan and putting it in your own pocket to pay off your car loan and your credit cards that's basically stealing uh in the context of a trust it would be called conversion or embezzlement um and and this sister serving as trustee should be removed as trustee of the trust and the money she took a court could order it to be charged back against her share um so so that she would have to basically pay it back out of her share. Um, That's stealing. I think anyone, it doesn't really take an attorney such as myself to explain that. If you take money that belongs to other people and spend it on yourself, that's stealing. In this case, it's embezzlement, and that is a real problem. Uh, Then it goes on to say, The mortgage was in one of the siblings' names. Behind that sibling's back, she took him off and put her and her husband on without his knowledge. Can they sell the house without the consent of the other siblings on the trust? This is a big mess. And something tells me this family is going to end up in the probate court in San Diego, having the sister removed and having a new trustee put in charge that will maybe go after the sister to get the money back that was taken to pay off the car and pay off credit cards. Um, I never cease to be amazed as an attorney how often problems with trusts occur because there's a family member put in charge that turns out to not be trustworthy. I tell my clients all the time. If you're going to pick your children to be the trustees to take over, make sure they're trustworthy. Don't also decide I want all of my children to be the trustees because they don't get along now. But if they're all trustees, they'll be forced to get along. Yeah. Stop and think for a moment. How likely is that to be the case? If siblings don't get along at all, How likely is it that they're going to get along if mom and dad forced them to do that by putting them all in charge of something? If it didn't work when mom and dad were alive, why would it work after mom and dad are gone? I suggest to people that if there is overt animosity between family members, that they might want to consider having a neutral third-party trustee be the one to take over Maybe a professional trustee, it's going to cost them some money to do that. But the savings in uh, family dynamics might be well worth the expense of having a professional actually handle things. Someone who has no, no um, dog in the fight, no money in the game, has no vested interest to do anything other than be scrupulously fair to all of the beneficiaries of a trust, and is not going to be able to be persuaded by somebody because they have some kind of pre-existing relationship or romantic relationship or some other relationship. So I've had a number of instances where I've advised my clients, you know what? You might be better off not having one of your children or all of your children be the trustees of your trust. So we're coming up on the mid-show break now. When we come back, there'll be more Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. I'll see you for the second half of the show in a few minutes.
1: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Hi, welcome back. As the man said, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting live today from my office in San Jose, my new office in San Jose. Um, And also wanting to remind you all that I have my first estate planning workshops that have been live in my office since March of 2020. And they'll be tomorrow morning. One starting at 9 o'clock and the other one starting at 10.45. The workshops are identical. Uh, If you'd like to attend a live workshop with a live estate planning attorney who's very much alive, that would be me, then you can go to lawbob.com and click on the button that talks about uh, upcoming seminars and workshops and then, at the bottom of that page, pick nine o'clock or ten forty five Now, I have more spaces available at nine o'clock. I think there's only one available at uh the ten forty five slot, and even that might be gone by the end of this show today. So if that is when you would like to come uh then I would suggest that you go ahead and go to my website right now um and uh, and register for that time, otherwise it could be gone uh, at any moment. So continuing with more questions and comments from around the state of California, let me go ahead here with one from Azusa, California. I've always loved that as the name of a town. Where are you from, Azusa? It sounds almost like an old fashioned car horn, you know, like Azusa. Yeah. Uh, but Azusa, California. And here is one of those uh, situations that I'm sure happen. They don't just happen in the movies and novels, they happen in real life. Huge family fight back in 1979. Tried to reconcile, just didn't work problem i had was with my brother it was not with my parents and i've not spoken to my brother or my sister since that time says my father passed but my mother is alive and i've not seen her in almost 40 years she's 87 years old now and lives with my sister who's 66 years old my brother is married with kids lives about 30 minutes away. I live about 10 minutes away. I know there's a trust set up, and I'm sure I'm not involved at all, but is there a way I can challenge this? I know once my mom passes, everything, including the house, cars, etc., will go to my sister and brother, should I let it be, or do I have a claim to anything? The short answer is... Assuming that your parents set up a trust, uh, and it sounds like there uh, is a trust. I don't know if the trust was set up by mom and dad or just by mom. If it was set up by mom and dad, but it left everything to mom, then mom can make any change she wants. I wouldn't necessarily assume that changes have been made that say, you don't get an equal share. But if, in fact, mom had the authority and either set up a trust or modified the trust that she had with your father to decide to leave everything to your brother and sister, there's really not much you can do to challenge that unless you're prepared to try to prove that at the time your mother made that change or at the time your parents set that up if the parents made that change that somehow they were mentally incompetent we're talking um, decades ago and i think you would be hard pressed to demonstrate in any way shape or form that somehow uh, the changes that were made were uh, were not appropriate and could be challenged at this time that's just my my basic stance there might be more actual facts that could lead to grounds for a challenge, but I think the likelihood is you really could not challenge it when mom passes away. Okay, out of Santa Barbara, California. Someone asks a question, what is the answer to um, a question I'm being asked for a certification of trust form where they ask, title to trust assets shall be taken in the following fashion to transfer real estate into my trust would I have John Jones revocable living trust John Jones trustee would that be better than John Jones trustee of the John Jones revocable living trust I tend to do the latter John Jones trustee of the John Jones revocable living trust Dated, and then I put in the date that the trust was signed. Uh, Even if the trust was amended and restated, you always put in the original date of the trust because just like you only have one birth date, even if your name changes in your lifetime, you still just have one birth date. That never changes. So when a trust is born, meaning when it's actually created, comes into existence, that's the date typically that it was signed and that's the date that stays on it from there on. So I would tend to go John Jones, trustee of the John Jones Revocable Living Trust dated January 1st, 2010 or whatever the date happens to be. I think that's the better practice is to do that. Out of Los Angeles, California, my parents... Bought a house for me under my name. Very nice parents, I guess, there. Right now, my parents still pay the loan by sending money to my account so that I can pay the loan. After I get married, my husband and I plan to live in that house. Should I ask my husband to share the cost of internet, homeowners association fees, house insurance and water bill or property tax? Will that make the house marital property how do I protect it thank you for advice ahead of time my advice ahead of time is enter into a pre-marital agreement with your spouse that makes it clear that the property is your property and stays your property if you're expecting your spouse to pay for any of the costs of maintaining the property You need to spell that out as well and whether or not there is any legal effect to doing that. Now, in order to do an agreement like this, each spouse has to have their own legal representation. You really can't go to one attorney and have the one attorney draw up that paperwork and then both spouses sign. Uh, Here in California, an agreement like that is really not enforceable and i know if you're listening out there and you had an attorney do that for you for you and your spouse you're probably you're probably on a ticking time bomb right now because if a divorce happens it may be that your spouse will basically uh throw out or move to throw out that agreement because they maybe they didn't have separate representation it would be especially bad if it was your attorney that drew it up and then had your spouse sign it, that's even worse. So, um, so how do you protect it? You put it in a trust that's just in your name. You make sure that you pay for everything, everything to do with that house going forward uh, because you don't want your spouse to actually start acquiring a community property ownership interest in the house. But the safest way and the most secure way is to actually have a premarital or what we call a prenuptial agreement with your spouse where each of you had an attorney representing your interests to advise you what the legal rights are and what the ramifications are of deciding how to handle that property going forward in the marriage. Now, I'm not a family lawyer. We'll start with that. But I know enough about family law and how it intersects with estate planning to know that that's really what you need to do in order to protect yourself. So those of you sitting out there right now, living in a house that's your house with your spouse, uh, it may be too late to, uh, to fix things like that, but still... Um, you might want to talk with your spouse and say, are they willing to enter into an agreement now clarifying your ownership of that property? Um, I know it could be a very touchy subject and a lot of people would not want to touch that because they're afraid that it might actually end up to the marriage ending as a result. I can't help you with that. I can only tell you that those are the kinds of things that people really need to consider when they actually own property, and uh, uh, well, when they own property, and then it turns out that they're they're actually going to um, excuse me um, when they own property and they are married, but the property is their separate property. So we're coming up on the third break of our show today uh, in about a minute or so, and. When we come back, I will be covering in the final segment some more questions and comments from around the state of California, and then we'll wrap it up for the day. I just want to uh, let you all know that uh, next week I will not be in my studio. I will be in Walt Disney World with my family, and I will probably have a rebroadcast for next Friday's show. So... It will be useful information, so you still want to tune in. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I'll see you after the third break of the show today.
1: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.
2: Hi, welcome back to the final segment of our show today. And hopefully we'll be able to um, wrap it up today and go into the weekend with our eyes wide open. All right, here we go. San Leandro, California says, My mother passed away in 2005 and my brother had been paying all the bills and property taxes. He passed away in the home in June of 2022. Okay. He gave me my mom's deed to the house because he was sick for a long time. There's no will at all. I have one sister left. She's older. I really don't get along with her. I gave her daughter the keys to the home so she can stay there. I did that in July of 2022, July 31st of 2022. So that was like a few days ago, really. I told her to pay the property taxes because they're still in my mom's name and my brother was never late. The house needs a lot of work. I think it's not worth much. I was told that the land is worth a lot. My mind is still not clear. Now I regret letting my niece into the home and my brother also didn't get along with my niece. Is there anything I can do? Can we sell it? Oh my gosh. Mom had no will. Died in 2005, which, by my calculations, was 17 years ago. Is that right? So it was 2015. 17 years ago, Mom died, and literally nothing was done by anybody to clear the title of the property when Mom died. It sounds like the brother just was living in the house, kept paying the property taxes, the bills. Nobody informed anybody of anything. And then he died in June of this year. Oh, my gosh. Um, what this family may be looking at is not only a probate for mom's estate going back to 2005, but then actually... Uh, pretty much having the house split three ways, with the third way being the estate of the brother that just died in June. This is a mess. There's literally no way to sell the property without going through the court system. It may involve actually two probates having to be done. And depending on the value of the property, it's in San Leandro, It cost $10,000 back in 1962. I can guarantee it's worth a little bit more than that now in San Leandro. And this family just has a big mess. Cautionary tale. When someone dies, don't do nothing at all. Don't do nothing at all. This property should already have been owned by the three children instead they never received it the brother was paying the the bills and the taxes presumably there was no mortgage of any kind but really the county was never told that mom died it's and i know that this kind of thing happens all the time and i and i would tell people don't mess around with this. You can end up with property tax issues. You can end up with income tax issues down the line. And you could end up with multiple probates. And I think here there's going to have to be a probate for mom's estate and a probate for the brother that died because he would he would be receiving one-third of the property when mom died and that interest would have vested when mom died. Uh, which means it gets payable to his estate and that means he likely has to have a probate as well because the value of one-third of that real estate in San Leandro is likely large enough to trigger the need for an actual probate administration and who knows what else the brother may own. Okay, we got one more to do today and then we'll call it quits. Trust was created in two thousand two, the out of Roseville, California. It said, any community properties to remain community property, any separate property is to remain separate property. Exhibit A of the trust is the family home and one rental property. Exhibit B of the trust is a transmutation from my dad under the family code, transferring his interest, disclaiming my mother's inheritance. So basically, the dad is giving up any inheritance from his wife. The trust also states that the surviving spouse, that's dad, disclaims any interest in the deceased spouse's property, that's mom who died, the trust created as a result of the survivor's disclaimer may not be amended or revoked. Can my dad amend or revoke the trust? Answer, no. No was one of the conditions of exercising the disclaimer so dad cannot change the deal now if he actually exercised that disclaimer which it sounds like he did okay well that's it for our show today and uh, I will be back in two weeks uh, after I come back from Walt Disney World I hope you all have a great weekend Uh, I'm going to be packing myself and uh, until a couple weeks from now, this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and you have a great weekend. Goodbye, Bay Area.
1: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.